This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and enter the offer code BOMBSHELL, B-O-M-B-S-H-E-L-L, at checkout. A better web starts with your website, kitten. festival in all over the world from high atop or we way below the confines of uh, Bristow Square and TV Out Row uh, we're located here in the billiard room of the Gilded Balloon uh, this is an emergency proof cast because I did not have the foresight or wherewithal to schedule one for every week that I was here and realized that there was going to be a gaping proof cast hole where everybody's soul used to be and so we've whipped this one together and I want to thank everyone here at the Gilded Balloon Karen and Neil and Dom and uh, Stephen and uh, Andrew and everybody for uh, helping me out and putting one together this one's being recorded in the early morning here at 12 noon uh, and the Fringe Festival this is like doing it at the crack of fucking dawn we might as well be at the top of Arthur's seat gathered around a fire uh, knitting our last few strands of Shetland wool together because uh, everyone here stays up till 5 in the morning doing every manner of drink and drug and trying to shag anything that doesn't fucking move or get up from where it was found lying in a pool of its own sick the night before on the tram tracks because that's how we play here in Edinburgh uh, it is uh, rough and tough. I just had a bacon roll, and I'm feeling in top form. Uh, I can feel exactly. Uh, the burger stand out there uh, in the utter be- underbelly, 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 um, rudder belly, thingy belly, uh, pork belly, as, uh, uh, doesn't do burgers till noon. They do pork uh, bacon rolls till then. For our American listeners and for everyone listening outside of the confines of the kingdom that's united uh, up until next month, um, when Scotland's going to break away and declare war on Wales and put that fleet together and invade Denmark like they've been pining to do in retribution for Denmark's invasion of Scotland in the, uh, some thousand years ago. Maybe it was Norway. I can never keep the Scandinavian countries uh, straight. They're all so tall and weather, weathered. As my wife once said, Norway does leathery better than any other country. Um, the, uh, 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 if you're outside of the United Kingdom, a bacon roll is um, really, really, really fatty bacon. Part of the pig that the pig discarded itself. Um, pigs aren't even killed for the bacon here. They just like go, oh my God, do I look fat in this pen? And then they rip a big piece of fat off and uh, they cook that up and then they put it on a white bun that has more powder and dust coming off it than anything in the world. Um, you can go to Beijing and not have as much sand blow at you as you can taking a bite of a bacon roll here in Scotland because the powder went all over my fucking suit and exploded all over me and onto my tie. Uh, and all over my face. So uh, for a brief moment, I look like a clown eating a bacon roll. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the white face ones, not the Auguste. And um, so uh, I'm ready to roll here. And, and it's about time to jump right in. Um, but before we do, uh, thank you very much for coming out for this early morning podcast, um, Proopcast podcast. There's no vodcast today. I couldn't face, even I can't face vodka at 11.45 in the morning. I mean, I'm not on holiday. If I was on holiday, I'd be drinking by now. I'd already be high and half in the bag. And then you have that nap, right? I mean, you know when you go on holiday and you like you go, you get up in the morning and you're like, and I'll look at Jennifer, it'll be like 9.30, 10, and I'll be like, just, you know, and we'll be having coffee and I'll, and I'll say, uh, is it too early to start drinking? And, um, and she's like, are you kidding? And I'm like, mm, partially. 
And then, you know how you're kind of half in the bag at noon? And then with me, uh, because I, of the age I am, I fall asleep at like two. In, two in the afternoon, wake up at four with a screaming headache that feels like a lizard crawled into your ear and is now striding across your cerebral cortex and just pushing your brain lobes apart. And, uh, and then, of course, about four o'clock, you, you wake up and have a snack and whatnot. But maybe I'm describing something that's never happened to you because this crowd seems to want to stare at me like I'm a fucking millipede crawling across a, a bowl full of cottage cheese. In any case, I realize it's early to laugh, so just fucking take it easy. There's no pressure on you. I'll take, I'll take all the hits on this one. Uh, we get letters here, and if you want to write us, it's uh, uh, fan mail for... Oh, no, that's my email. It's smartestoutofspecialthing.com. If you want to write me a letter, it's uh, fanmailforgreg at gmail.com. And always say hello to the National Security Administration because they're monitoring everything. Uh, uh, gmail is Google Mail, and uh, Google barfs up all information to every government in the world. And is a compliant and... Uh, um, uh, what, what was the word? Obesient lapdog uh, to the giant powers that be. So... People often write, and then they'll put a little NSA thing here at the end. I was talking about uh, the devolution of uh, Scotland very poorly last time because uh, I tried to watch the debate with Alex Salmon and the other fellow, and uh, I was confused and perplexed about 30 seconds in. And then by the end of it, I switched over to an old Scooby-Doo episode so I could ground myself. Um, in any case, uh, Scotland is voting on whether they're going to be part of the United Kingdom uh, in a month's time. And as I mentioned on the last uh, Proofcast, uh, the country of uh, Canada... Uh, has a, a separate French entity uh, that's much like Scotland. It's a, a pseudo-nation with its own um, particular, uh, you know, cultural um, burgeonings and its own uh, cultural underpinnings. And uh, they tried to have their own independence a few years ago. And I indicated that they lost by a small margin. And uh, perhaps I was wrong because someone wrote me immediately. This is Martin from Montreal, and he wrote me, Your Prupitude, and I thank you, Martin. Uh, please rise. Uh, I don't want to be a dick about it. You know... When you start a letter with, I don't want to be a dick about it, my natural assumption is that the next thing you're going to do is be a dick about it. It's like when people go, I don't mean to be insulting, and then the next thing is your hair's all fucked up, right? So when people say, I don't want to be insulting, or I don't want to be a dick, or I don't mean to correct you, they do mean to do exactly what they say they don't mean to do. Don't preface your comments with that. Just jump right in with the dickitude. You know what I mean? Don't go, look, I don't mean to be insulting, but you're ugly, and Jesus hates you. Just go... Uh, Jesus hates you and then they're like you're being insulting and you're like oh I didn't mean to be you're like back it up put it at the end I use it as a suffix not a preface uh, I don't want to be a dick about it too late uh, but being a francophone in Quebec that means a, a French speaker I'm not presuming your abject ignorance of this remember I'm broadcasting to America <laughs> and if you say francophone they're like does that come in a can and it's like no that's Franco-American that would be spaghettios a francophone is someone who speaks uh, Frenches, like we're Anglophones, because we speak as uh, Anglo. Uh, I would like to tell you that Anglos, are, uh, that, that's what he's calling uh, uh, the rest of Canada, and as he puts it here, brackets, R-O-C colon, rest of Canada. See, they're Francophones, and then the rest of Canada is, Anglo, is um, Anglos. Uh, did not say good riddance to Quebec, but tried all they could to stop us from leaving. First, by trying to invoke non-existent rules to, uh, to separation from Canada. Then on the last days before the referendum, they spent millions of dollars from a mystery slush fund to bus hundreds of buses packed from other parts of Canada and paid for an illegal rally as per funding rules to tell us, don't leave, we love you. All this, of course, was bullshit, and we lost the referendum by less than 2%. And uh, that's what I, I'm, my notion here is, I don't know if it's going to get through or whether Scotland's going to be independent, and I hate predicting things because it's like sports. 
I thought Brazil was going to win the World Cup, not be brutally beaten to the ground in, in a seven one in a seven one howitzer match that wasn't that close. Uh, so there you are. Uh, but I have a feeling these referendum things always boil down to just a few scant percentage points, and that it's usually, as Martin uh, says, uh, that, that the forces of evil are, are um, uh, prevaricating from the outside and, uh, and trying to change the results here. Uh, I would invite you to do some research on that and not just talk to Anglos about this major Canadian rat-fucking, as they say. Follow the money. Merci, Greg. Nous t'aimons. That means we love you. Thank you, Martin. To the NSA. Oh, go fuck yourselves already. <laughs> exclamation point. Well, I appreciate your sentiment, but you know I detest exclamation points, Martin. So I'm going to cross that out. And instead, I'm going to underline the other part. Oh, go fuck. Because I think those are good directions for anyone. We haven't much time here today, so we're going to clip right along at a breakneck pace. Uh, first of all, I want to talk about two people who are swirling up in the heavens. Um, and the first one is uh, Lauren Bacall, the eternal goddess. Uh, Lauren Bacall uh, uh, was a movie star, uh, an activist, uh, and a, a lefty. She was married to Humphrey Bogart and Jason Robards, and uh, was a stage star as well, and appeared in, on Broadway uh, and all over, uh, and as uh, many other plays, but also uh, notably Applause and uh, Cactus Flower. She also uh, debuted as a teenager in the 40s in a, a picture called To Have and Have Not, which is um, a fabulous uh, motion picture. Her first two pictures, in fact, are, are, I think, in some ways, her best two pictures, which are To Have and Have Not and The Big Sleep. Um, she was a kid living in New York, and her name was, real name was Betty, and uh, she always went by Betty her whole life. The studio gave her the name Lauren. Um, she was scouted by uh, Howard Hawks' wife, Slim Hawks, and Howard Hawks uh, is a director of some rare talent. Uh, all of his movies basically have the same plot and uh, follow the same through line, but uh, they're very stylish, and the women in his movies tend to be quite strong and always drink and smoke. In every single Howard Hawks movie, like, for instance, he made The Big Sleep. Uh, he also made Scarface, the original one with Paul Muni. Um, and, uh, and Boris Karloff is a gangster in that one. I don't know if you remember Boris Karloff, who played a lot of monsters. Uh, and Boris Karloff talked like this in the movies. Uh, later, of course, Jeremy Irons would steal his voice and do his act. Because Boris Karloff talks like this. And then Jeremy Irons talks like this. And then in House of the Spirits, uh, which was a, a really awful movie from the 90s, Jeremy Irons plays a Spaniard in that one. And Winona Ryder's tortured. Um, and I believe Meryl Streep is in it, too, in one of her incandescently... Um, Roles. Uh, I'm not a, I don't mean to bag on Meryl Streep. I'm just not a huge Meryl Streep fan. People are like, isn't it fantastic that she can get into a movie and read dialogue and wear a hat and shit? And I'm like, no, it's not that fantastic. Wasn't she great as Margaret Thatcher and Julia Child and every other character ever? She was okay. I mean, uh, Greta Scotchy uh, said it once, uh, the movie star from the 90s. Uh, they asked her, what's the, definite, what's the most important quality of being a movie star? And she said, fuckability. Uh, and Lauren McCall certainly had that. I mean, there's either acting or there's movie stardom, right? I mean, there's people who can act, uh, and we all know who they are, like John Hurt or someone like that is a good actor. Um, fuckability for John Hurt? A little, a little lower, a little lower on the scale there. Uh, with Meryl Streep, uh, I don't get acting or fuckability. That's my problem with her. Uh, and I'm being terrible about Meryl Streep and I don't know why I've stopped in the middle of a pay-on to Lauren Bacall taking this cul-de-sac into what is going to be a completely fruitless fucking endeavor which is bagging on a beloved actress whom everyone thinks is fantastic and has how many Oscars? 10, 20, 30 Oscars? I said it years ago and I believe it 
I believe if you're an Oscar winner and you get the kind of veneration that Meryl Streep does and you continue to star in movies time after time after time and yet you don't prove that you have the range to do comedy and or drama uh, that you should have to start giving Oscars back. I mean, after Mamma Mia, doesn't she owe you a couple of Oscars? In the movie House of the Spirits, she plays a young person in one scene and then she plays herself older and she skips in. I mean, I want something for that. What about me and my effort? I came to the fucking movie theater and you chose to skip to indicate youth. Why don't you just come in jumping rope and throwing a fucking frisbee or something? Anyway, in that movie, Jeremy Irons uh, is adopting a Spanish accent. And this is Jeremy Irons' Spanish accent. I'm from Spain. Oh, I'd like some paella. So he was basically doing what if Boris Karloff had been caught uh, at the border. Uh, in any case, um, <laughs> uh, Lauren Bacall uh, was scouted by uh, Howard Hawks' wife, Slim. And uh, the, Howard Hawks made a brilliant m- a movie called um, Red River uh, with John Wayne and Montgomery Clift. And Montgomery Clift is, a, is his only cowboy movie. And uh, John Wayne plays the overbearing dad and, and Montgomery Clift plays the um, uh, adopted uh, troubled son. And uh, uh, Joanne Drew, I think, is the girl in that one. And it's a Western, Right. And everybody thinks John Ford made it because it looks just like a John Ford Western. In other words, there's deep focus photography and shots of the clouds and enormous skyline. And Walter Brennan's in it to be John Wayne's conscience. So John Wayne can go, well, I don't like how he's acting. And Walter, well, you darn fool, can't you see that you're treating him like that? And then Montgomery Cliff goes, yeah. And they, but they roll their own smokes because it's a cowboy movie. It was made in the 50s, early 50s, late 40s. Um, Joanne Drew acts like she's in a fucking film noir movie like all the other she acts like Lauren Bacall in a Howard Hawks movie he walks into a scene and she's like in a tent and she's got a fucking whiskey and a cigarette and you're like isn't this the wild west and shit like this hey Steve Um, Lauren Bacall has two of the greatest lines in movie history of course one is uh, you know how to whistle Steve Uh, just put your lips together and blow uh, which she says to Humphrey Bogart uh, in the movie to have and have not and that's the scene that made her famous and uh they, she leaves the room and, and Humphrey Bogart goes and then whew, he does the funniest goddamn take because he's thinking what the audience is thinking did she just fucking say that and how did they get away with saying that in the 40s put your lips together and blow Lauren McCall often delivered her lines in the movies like this with her head down and she talked like this in a deep voice um, she had a high voice and uh, she said she put her head down because she was absolutely petrified of shaking uh, which I think is brilliant. And uh, Howard Hawks made her go uh, up into the hills and out on the beach in L.A. and scream at the beach and, and uh, recite the robe to lower her voice. She also smoked somewhere in the neighborhood of 5,000 cigarettes a day, which really will take your voice down a few notches. Uh, I wanted to read you this about her. These are from several different English newspapers, The, Ardi- uh, the Guardian and The Independent. She wanted to, uh, to be Bogart's baby and to have Bogart's babies. In 1947, she went to Washington with a well-intentioned but politically innocent group including Bogart and John Huston. John Huston directed Bogart in five pictures, including uh, African Queen, uh, to protest against the anti-left-wing bullying of the House Un-American Activities Committee. The House Un-American Activities Committee, uh, for your information, 
was a committee that we would recognize very well in this day and age. It was put together um, to weed out the people who weren't loyal to the American government by calling them communists and so that we could spy on them and destroy their careers and uh, run them out of different businesses, including show business. Um, it's much like what's going on now with the spying uh, and the uh, unending uh, search for all of our uh, private lives. And believe me, in the next few years, when your car is able to communicate with the insurance company directly and when your phone, uh, when you use it to buy uh, cigarettes and that's reported immediately to the insurance company, or you use uh, your bank card uh, uh, or your debit card or your credit card to buy drinks at a bar, and that's reported immediately to all the companies that you pay money to to protect you and whatnot. That's the world the corporations want you to live in. Is this the boring preachy part already? No, but I have to weave it in quickly because we only have a few minutes here. Uh, I'm just saying guard against that at all costs. Uh, uh, How will we do that, Greg? Pay cash for fucking sins and shit like that. When you go to the Coke dealer, don't give him a credit card. But he doesn't take credit cards. Yeah, but he will in the future. And he'll have one of those zesty little things that you guys carry around here that look like little Star Trek things that the credit card goes in and then you push the buttons and whatnot. And then there's a button that says, would you like to leave a gratuity? And I've noticed in Scotland, that button is not well-worn at all. Every time they hand it to me, I'm like, no one's ever touched this button. And they're like, I... Today, when I bought my bacon putty, it was three pound fifty. I gave the guy four pounds and he went, you've given me four pounds. And I was like... The 50 piece for you. Put yourself through college. The tipping here is just a shock or lack thereof. Uh, in any case, they went in front of the, That's how brave Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall were. And as I've discussed on the show, maybe I haven't discussed it, but you may remember, in the movie Casablanca, which was made uh, some five years before this, Every single person in the movie Casablanca was a freedom fighter, was thrown out of Nazi Germany, escaped from Nazi Germany, harbored Jews, including the guitar player in the movie, the croupier. When you, next time you watch Casablanca, go through that credit list and IMDb all of them, and you will see that every single one of them was a lefty. Uh, Marcel, uh, who plays the croupier, uh, escaped from the Nazis. Um, Cuddle Zockel, who plays the, uh, uh, the waiter Fritz, who goes, such much, and does the eyeglass take um, he, uh, he escaped from the Conrad Veidt who plays the uh, German Nazi officer um, he was a very rich person and helped a lot of um, Jews escape from uh, Germany Humphrey Bogart was a virulent anti-Nazi um, there's a lot of heroes in that movie that's all I'm getting at uh, some, some actors are brave and, uh, and stand up uh, and, and are counted and then, and then of course you go on the news and people are like why can't actors just shut up and do what I want them to do because um, Actors are part of society, too. I know it's horrible, but they are. As Mel Brooks said, you can't shoot actors. Actors aren't animals. And then the other, and Zero Mustel says, really? Have you ever eaten with one? <laughs> Five years later, she campaigned for the unsuccessful Democratic presidential candidate, Adlai Stevenson, another father mentor. Uh, Adlai Stevenson ran against uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower and was roundly beaten for being too smart uh, so you'll see the anti-intellectual uh, drift uh, is not a new thing in politics. It's just that we've reached an explosive area with this now. Uh, after W for eight years in my country, I think you get the idea. And David Cameron about the, if you're too smart, that means you're too clever. And if you're too clever, that means you think too much. And if you think too much, that means you're going to question what we tell you to do uh, because we are your grand overlords and shit like that. Uh, she learned to, uh, let's see here. She bore Bogart's children, Stevie and Leslie, supplied antibiotics to sick location crews on the treasure of the Sierra Madre, which is a fantastic movie. And I insist that you watch it right now. I'll wait. <laughs> Before the next uh, poopcast, you must watch Treasure of Sierra Madre. And the African Queen learned to sip Jack Daniels through a long evening with the Hollywood Rat Pack. Because 
Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall started the Rat Pack. That Sinatra was their one of their buddies, and then when Bogie died, Sinatra carried on with the Rat Pack, and that's why they they were called the Holmby Hills Rat Pack. And I be, I believe it was Lauren Bacall who gave him the name, wasn't it? She said, "You guys look like a goddamn Rat Pack," because she was tough and cool. Here's the quotes that I wanted to read uh, uh, from her: uh, "Sultry, smart, and magnetic." Lauren Bacall. Let's see. Um, because she looked like a goddess and was endlessly interesting. What Jennifer, what um, website is the um, fashion one on? Is that The Guardian? No, that was the New York Magazine. New York, go, if you go on the New York Magazine website, um, there's a lifetime of Lauren Bacall's fashions. And uh, she dresses off the hook. In the 40s, the high-waisted pants and the big bossy bosses with like little sandals or whatnot and uh, really kicky bags, like these fucking cute bags. And then as she got older... Uh, there was a picture from uh, like 10, 12 years ago. She was 75, uh, 14 years ago. She's 75 in the picture. She's wearing a silver fucking spacesuit. And it is, yeah. And I said to my wife last night, I'm fucking wearing a silver spacesuit when I'm 75. And ever with the cigarette, right? She never fucking gave him up. I love that about her. Uh, she was married to Jason Roberts. Here's the quotes. Stardom isn't a profession. It's an accident. Mm. True words are never fucking spoke. If there was one thing... Meryl Streep, I just want to say I'm sorry. Okay, look. You're a good actor. You were probably good in Kramer versus Kramer. I couldn't get all the way through it. Um, I remember you in a lot of movies. The River Wild, I can't forgive you for. But uh, you're, you're probably good in some movies. What was the one where, you, you know, she... Oh, my children came from a foreign country and whatnot. That one was Okay. If there was one thing I've never been, it was mysterious. And it, thank you. If there's one thing I never had done, it was not talk. Mm. Lauren McCall is wicked outspoken. And this one I thought was fantastic for all performers because I, I spend a lot of time in the uh, performer's bar here <coughs> in Edinburgh. And sometimes it's hard to talk to people because their head is so far up their own ass they can barely see you. <laughs> I, I include myself in this, by the way. I'm extraordinarily shallow. That's... I'd li- I like to think reassuringly shallow. You can come back to me like a touchstone. Really? He's talking about himself again? Yeah. But what about me? Looking at yourself in a mirror isn't exactly a study of life. That I recommend to everybody who's on their phone all the fucking time. Because the phone is a mirror. Uh, your little phone that you're on every goddamn second looking for messages from your friends and shit is a mirror of you. It's not the outside world. Uh, let's see here. I am not a has-been. I am a will-be. You have to understand, after she made the Bogart movies and after Bogie died and after World War II finished, uh, women were highly independent during World War II because they had jobs and they got to smoke and drink and they got to sleep with people because their husbands were fucking gone. And they experienced uh, financial freedom and autonomy of a certain measure. And then as soon as the war was over, the movie stopped being about women like that, about Lauren Bacall and about Rita Hayworth and about Anne Sheridan and about all the career of uh, Betty Davis and, and, and Catherine Hepburn and uh, uh, Joan Crawford and Barbara Samwick and started being about moms and how women had to fit in and how... because. Uh, uh, like, um, in, for instance, in Key Largo, she's a little more, a little less independent, a little more taking care of Bogey. In Have and Have Not in Big Sleep, what does he say to her? Uh, she says, I don't like your manners, Mr. Marlowe. And he goes, I don't like them myself. I grieve over them on long winter evenings. But I didn't tell you to drink your lunch out of a bottle. And she goes, people don't talk to me that way. And it's awesome. Uh, five years later, she's in How to Marry a Millionaire. God, women need men to give them money and penises. Isn't it great? So... 
she uh, got changed studios and Jack Warner suspended her 12 times because she turned down fucking roles all the time because the roles were too milk toasty. Uh, and uh, that's why I dig her. In Hollywood, an equitable divorce settlement means each party getting 50% of the publicity. <laughs> that's genius. I think your whole life shows in your face and you should be proud of that. You can't always be a leading lady. And then about... Um, here's my favorite one by her. But before that one, two Sinatra ones. Because she had an affair with Sinatra and she was good buddies with him. He was a womanizer. He wanted to be in the sack with everybody. And then, I wish Frank Sinatra would just shut up and sing. (laughs) How tough do you have to be to say that? And then here's the one that I think is the life philosophy by her. Here is a test to find out whether your mission in life is complete. If you're alive, it isn't. Uh, As we say on the show, so very often, carpe, motherfucking diem. If you're sitting out there thinking about doing something, if you're thinking about writing a play, if you're thinking about starting a podcast, if you're thinking about making a piece of art, if you're thinking about buying that record, if you're thinking about reading that book, do it now. Life goes real fast. And all of a sudden, you're wearing a silver spacesuit on a red carpet, and then you're gone. So uh, that's all I say to you. Hello, Proof Kittens. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and enter the offer code BOMBSHELL at checkout. First of all, Squarespace is simple and easy to use, as I am. Uh, I don't know how to do much tech, but Squarespace makes it so easy that it's ridiculous. Plus, they have 24-7 support through live chat and email. It's located in New York City and Dublin. And those are two very sexy, important places. And to know that people are waiting for you just to help you in New York and Dublin is more than you can ask of any organization. Start your free trial now with no credit card required. And start building your website today. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace.com, use the offer code BOMBSHELL. That's B-O-M-B-S-H-E-L-L to get 10% off and to show your support for the Proofcast. I have to buy my drinks somehow. We thank Squarespace for their support of the smartest man in the world. Squarespace, a better web starts with your website, my darlings. Uh, Robin Williams is not only swirling in the heavens tonight, uh, Robin Williams is encompassing the entire universe with his great vast mirth. All I could think of was the line from uh, Hamlet, I knew him, Horatio, a man of infinite jest. He was a man of infinite jest, and there's not anyone that he met or that he had uh, social intercourse with that he didn't enrich their lives with the unbelievable largesse of his heart, with the catholicity and range of his, uh, 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 of, uh, of his interests and bearing, with the generosity and uh, magnanimity with which he embraced uh, every single human that he came across. If you remember uh, in the movie uh, The World According to Garp, which was like his first great starring role um, in the pictures, uh, I, I think the slogan for the movie was he's the most human being in the world. And it was a perfect role for Robin. I w- I'm not saying that I was best friends with him. I'm not saying that we were rolling buddies. I'm not saying that I hung out with him. I knew him because I'm from San Francisco. And he was our Elvis Presley. When I started doing comedy uh, and uh, late, uh, you know, right after World War II, Robin... <laughs> was already Elvis Presley. He had, uh, there was a, a thing in San Francisco called the San Francisco Comedy Competition, which was quite large for a while. He was in the very first one, which is, I think, 76 or so, and he lost. How did fucking Robin Williams lose when he was the funniest person in the world? Because the guy who won, the mic went off, and the, uh, the power went out while he was on stage, and he did such a great job at living that the judges gave it to him, and Robin didn't fucking win. 
then he went on and did a, a, a really poor version of Laughing, then Mork and Mindy, and then he became a TV star. And uh, I ran into him millions of times over the years. We did a few gigs together. We improvised together. Me and him and Mike McShane did uh, improv uh, in San Francisco. Mike and I were doing a... Mike McShane, you'll know from Whose Line Is It Anyway. Uh, he was the uh, giant one uh, on uh, the British version. Then he's uh, been... He doesn't have as much weight now, so he's formerly two and a half men, as we say. Um, in any case, uh, and Mike is playing with us this week at the uh, What Does the Title Matter Anyway show uh, here at the Fringe, which by the time this drops, I think there'll be two left. I think we'll have done we'll have Monday and Tuesday left. In any case, we were doing a, a late night show at the other cafe in San Francisco, which was really hip, in the Haight-Ashbury district. And Robin came in, and uh, he's like, oh, oh. And because uh, that's how he talked. Uh, off stage, he was really shy and retiring. You wouldn't believe that because he was a fucking tornado on stage. But off stage, he, oh, oh. Uh, and the, the, one of the greatest pleasures and most uh, the biggest honors of my life is that he called me Mr. Proops for our whole relationship. I didn't ask him to. I didn't tell him to. He would go, oh, Mr. Proops, oh, oh, sit in, and I. Uh, so he sat in with us, and um, Mike and I were in pretty good form, and we did a Shakespeare. And uh, he, he, w- he was enormously strong, right? Robin was like a wrestler. And uh, he was really hairy. And he sweated like the very devil on stage. So we'd be in an improv with him, and he'd go, Oh, oh what? Last off, I'd like him through one wonder. And then he'd grab you in a headlock, and you'd be like, Ah! And then he would sweat on you and like rub his hairy chest on your head. So I would be like, This was just like Robin's sweat all over your face, rubbing up against his hairy nipples. And it was magic. He was a beautiful human being. Um, If you go on Facebook and you go online, you'll see that, first of all, all the comics in San Francisco and all over the United States are completely bereft. Uh, And I think people all over the world are because... Uh, if you were a little kid in the last few years, or say, the, say you're in your early 20s or whatever, you probably grew up watching Flubber and Jumanji and uh, uh, all of the kid movies he made, which was genius of him uh, to do because he, it brought his audience uh, to a younger level. If you're uh, older than that, you probably remember him from uh, Good Morning Vietnam and, uh, uh, and, and pictures like that. I think... Um, uh, the, the, what's closest to his personality was probably Garp and um, Dead Poet Society and uh, 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 Goodwill Hunting. He's so sensitive and, and lovely in those pictures. Uh, I mean, he made a share of uh, movies that weren't so hot, but there you are. We can't, they can't all be fucking home runs. And, uh, the other thing about him is his style of comedy informed everybody in San Francisco. He went a thousand miles an hour. He made a million sub-references. He presumed your knowledge of, or the audience's knowledge, rather, of, 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 of literature, of art, of history, of world events. He went a thousand miles an hour and did references about everything all the time. And uh, that was where I got all my information from. I mean, I'm not saying that I watched him and then I went, oh, I'm going to be like Robin Williams. I'm saying that he imbued San Francisco with the esoterica, left-leaning, uh, um, super sub reference uh, mile-a-minute style of comedy that left the audience behind. The idea when I started comedy in San Francisco wasn't to make the audience laugh. It was to prove that you were an individual on stage. And then eventually the audience would come to you. We were not involved in seduction. And uh, the difference is uh, Robin Williams was the most likable seductive person I've ever seen on stage. The person that I've asked British uh, people uh, who was at that level, um, because let me put it this way. He was like, whoa, like Mick Jagger or, or, or James Brown or Aretha uh, Franklin or Mahalia Jackson or whoever you can think of. When they walked into the room, everybody went, oh my God, they're in the room. It, it, it was enough. He had that kind of magnitude, that kind of magnetism, that kind of star power. We used to play this inconceivably shit club in San Francisco where he started called the Holy City Zoo. It had 80 seats. 
and often less people than are here right now, uh, on a Tuesday night at two in the morning in front of a couple drunks, and that's where I learned to do stand-up. And uh, Robin would come in uh, unbidden, because he lived in San Francisco, he'd just show up, and within 20 minutes, like uh, 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 telegraph, you know, uh, uh, like unbelievable, uh, invisible telegraph, this 80-seat club would have 150 people stuffed in it and people standing on the street waiting to watch him. So here's two good stories. Uh, uh, he's on stage, and he's at the Holy City Zoo, and he's wrapping it up, right? He's, and he, he tended to do about an hour and 45, two hours. Like, he, he, he'd do a long set, right? And so he's beating the crowd up, and they're fucking loving it. Everyone's crying, laughing, wiping away tears. He finishes. The next comic up is a brilliant comic named Larry Bubbles Brown, who's a very good old friend of mine from San Francisco. Uh, and here's, here's, Bubbles, uh, here's a couple of Bubbles jokes. Bubbles has a... He looks a little bit like E.T., and uh, here's one of his jokes. The nicest thing a woman ever said to me is, are you sure you're not a cop? Um, so you get an idea of where Larry's coming from, right? The bubbles is a joke. Uh, anyways, uh, Robin finishes, and he has to, you, have to, you have to work your way through the crowd, right? Like when you finished at the zoo, you walked in front of the crowd because that's where they were. And, and that door was over there and the, and the toilet was over there. So anytime anyone did anything, everyone saw it. He leaves. Next up, Larry Brown. Ladies and gentlemen, Larry Brown. Well, he was just following Robin after a year. So he gets up on stage and there goes Robin in front of him leaving. And Larry goes, hey, Mork, where are you going? I sat through Popeye. <laughs> Ten years ago, I was playing at Aspen at the comedy festival that they used to have there for rich people and douchebags. And uh, uh, Robin and Billy Connolly were there. And I was doing a late night alternative show, right? I was hosting it. And uh, I, so as I go up to Robin and I says, Robin, and he, oh, and I said, uh, I'm doing a, a late night show. You're going, oh, 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 oh. So he came. And then I says to Billy, uh, I'm doing a late night show. You want to come to the late night show? It's at midnight, why not? And Billy goes, welcome. I'm going to come and do your show. But it didn't have a set as such. Right? I don't have a set, he said. So it was a fun show, and I forget who was on it. A lot of good comics. And um, then I brings up Billy, right? And it's, it's about one in the morning now. Billy, who does not have a set as such, comes on and does an hour and 45 minutes. <laughs> they try to get him off the stage by turning the lights off at one point, bouncing the lights up and down, uh, 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 the stage manager and a bunch of HBO people got in the audience with flashlights and tried to flashlight him. Then the audience tried to clap him off for about 20 minutes. Like, <laughs> and he, anyway, nothing, nothing. He would not relinquish, right? He fucking held firm. Uh, you know, like the thin red line, right? Like the fucking forming squares at Waterloo. Like he was not fucking moving, baby. So I go over to Robin, who's sitting in an overcoat backstage like this. Because he often had Right? And I go, Robin, I am not going out there. I'm the host. I go, I can't go out there. But you can. Because you're Robin. You can go out there and bum rush this thing. And he goes, oh, no. I saw him at the Dominion Theater in London last year, and he did two and a half fucking hours. I'm not going out there. And finally, Billy came off and Robin went on and did like a half an hour and killed. Billy's sitting backstage. This is Aspen. It's 10,000 feet in the air. Next to an oxygen tank with a lit cigar. <laughs> and says to me, Greg, I didn't see the light because I've never been in a comedy club except for two or three times. 
What I wanted to get out was this. Uh, there's been a lot of hoo-ha, flop-doodle, and skipty-jack about Robin Williams' mental state. And uh, even I got interviewed. I did one interview. I didn't want to do them all because I felt disingenuous. And for, if one. And two, whose fucking business is it of mine? I want to mourn him publicly, but I want to do it in my own way. And I really hate when people inject themselves into uh, other uh, uh, people's untimely demise. And also, um, let, you know... We have to venerate the, the, the honored dead, the beloved past. We don't, uh, I don't want to exhume them and, uh, uh, and go over every foible and, and fault. To say that he was a drug addict and an alcoholic, we're, uh, every one of us is a drug addict and an alcoholic. It's not unique to comedy and it's not unique to show business. If one makes one living in a saloon or in a theater, um, the impetus is going to be that you're going to want to have a fucking drink afterward and shit. There's plenty of coked up fucking city types and coked up journalists that never have to fucking be called. They're, they've battled with the dark depression and their substance abuse. Through their dark side, they've battled with a, a, a constant addiction to alcohol and cocaine. Fuck you. You name me a journalist who works for the fucking Daily Mail or any of those goddamn publications that isn't a coked up asswipe, all right? I mean, for real, for real. And uh, th th when I was being interviewed about him and I was trying to be as kind as possible, uh, the woman in Sky News, who I know she didn't write the question, she was being fed the question by her upper superiors, said to me, he had a dark side, didn't he? You know who has a fucking dark side? Tony fucking Blair, David Cameron, Vladimir Putin, Barack Obama, W. Bush, Angela Merkel. That's who has a fucking dark side. Comics, if they have a dark side, do not affect the world with their dark side. Did you feel the punishing power of Robin's horrible addiction to fucking coke and booze? No. You fucking laughed every time he came on TV and went, that was fucking funny. He made me feel better. So fuck saying he had a dark side. The people who rule the goddamn world, the people who run British Petroleum and Lloyd's Bank, the people who run Halifax, the people who run Chevron Oil, those are the people with a fucking dark side because they don't give a goddamn about fucking humanity or the future of the world or your children or your health or that anyone gets three squares at any point in any goddamn place. Robin Williams was an absolutely divine individual who cared a great deal about everyone he met and if you met him personally he would have gone, hi, how are you? Because he was capable of doing that. I'm real fucking sick of hearing about how a comedian has a dark side when the people who run the world and the people who run the corporations are the darkest fucking clouds that could ever be on our horizon and that the day that we're not laboring under them is the day that will be a grand fucking day and butterflies will spring out of everyone's hatch and there'll be a butterscotch fountain you can fucking bathe in. You know, I'm real tired of it. If he was a drug addict, hooray for drugs. <laughs> Louis Armstrong smoked weed every day of his life. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, if, it, if that's what it takes to make you creative, good for fucking you. You know what I mean? Frank Sinatra had a couple drinks. He made 3,000 records. Aretha Franklin eats food like it's going out of style. It does not make her less of a great artist. Um, Rick Overton is a very good friend of mine, and he has his own podcast 
uh, that you should definitely listen to, where he interviews other comics and goes into the psyche and talks about what's going on in comics' minds. And it's extremely illuminating. And Rick Overton is another lovely individual and a poet without whom this world would be a much more awful place. He was very good friends with Robin. And he said this, and I wanted to read you this, because I think it really puts in perspective the whole, he died of drugs, he died of depression, he died of this, he died of that. I want to make clear it's my firm belief Robin Williams was suffering from heart surgery-related depression, which is quite common, by the way, for men and women who have heart surgery. Uh, as with women who have a baby, they often suffer from postpartum depression, which is a dirty secret that no one wants to talk about. Because everyone knows, if you read the Daily Mail, oh, she's holding a bump and it's a blessed event and baby joy and all this shit. Babies don't always mean joy. Sorry, they don't. Sometimes babies mean fucking there's one more mouth to feed and everyone's fucking sad about it and shit. I'm sorry to be a fucking bummer, but that's what it's like. And when you get uh, a heart attack and you get your heart work done, you're not always a happy fucking critter the rest of your life and shit like that. That's how things work. Um, so, related depression rather than slipping into drug depression. I've known him through the drug days, and I've known him through the drinking days, and I've known him through the dry days, and he is not the person he was. The surgery altered his personality. And I can only assume that on the other side now, he is back to being his original self, and for that I am grateful. But I want to make this clear to save his reputation, that he did not turn into a callous addict and abandon his family. The heart surgery changed his chemical dynamic and his brain chemistry as well. And that's where we'll leave Robin Williams swirling in the heavens and know that uh, even if he did do a lot of drugs, and he probably did, uh, that's not the reason he died, and that's not the reason he took his own life. And if you're thinking about taking your own life, don't. Uh, it, it, you must find another way, as Satchel Paige said. Uh, don't go down the dark corridor. Um, it leaves everyone holding the bag. It seems like a solution at the time. And believe me, I'm not, I am speaking from personal experience. I have been very depressed in my life, as I'm sure we all have in this room. Um, but if you are depressed, uh, think of an, find another way, is what Satchel Paige said. Whether it requires going outside and looking at some grass or uh, going outside and doing whatever, whatever it takes. As what did Sinatra say? I'm for prayer or drink or whatever gets you through the fucking night. We don't have any time, but uh, I'm going to touch very briefly on this, and then we're going to go. This is the shortest boring preachy part in the history of mankind. Uh, what's been happening in Ferguson, Missouri, is an absolute scandal. The fact that Obama, our president, did not address it until yesterday, when, as my wife pointed out, it looked like he had bad makeup and hadn't eaten in a fucking week. Um, he's been in Martha's Vineyard and attending parties and shit like that. I am reminded of Lyndon Baines Johnson, who, when things like this happen, would often go to the scene. Um, and I would urge, as I've said many times on the show before, uh, for Barack Obama to stop thinking about Ronald Reagan, who was an absolutely detached um, president who had no grasp of reality and did not like regular people, and start thinking about Lyndon Baines Johnson, who, even though he was a cocksucker and a power wielder of the highest caliber, was a tremendous manipulator of public opinion and was able to get through things like welfare, the Miranda decision, and things that were integral to America's fucking uh, freedom and decency. And that's what Lyndon Baines Johnson's legacy is. Uh, next to Franklin Roosevelt and Abraham Lincoln, I think he might be the greatest president that America ever had. But what about the Vietnam War and the escalation thereof? He knew it was a mistake. He did it. It's his fucking, it's his giant, um, it's the giant uh, chink in his armor. Um, however, um, you have to take a more active hand in things like this. What happened was this, and I'm not going to go into all the details, but you know, about a week ago, an 18-year-old teenager who was uh, quite a good student named Michael Brown jaywalked in the city of Ferguson, Missouri. Uh, the cops uh, tried to stop him. What ended up happening was he got shot seven times in the head, and uh, the cops said that he had uh, tried to grab one of the cops' guns. Well, as you know, in America, we have a law, and it's called um, 
being neat, what, what, what my friend Warren uh, Thomas, the immortal Warren Thomas, who was black and also a very good friend of mine, said, he was arrested once. And I said, why were you arrested? And he said, for being black on a sunny day. <laughs> and in Los Angeles, uh, there's a, 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 a crime called DWB. What does that mean, Greg? It means driving while black. <laughs> in America, the cops feel fucking full free range to hassle harass and stop all people of color. In New York, it's called stop and frisk. In other states, it's just called standard operating fucking procedure. Black people are presumed to be criminals. Um, black young men are presumed to be extra big criminals. Uh, you may remember the Trayvon Martin case. You may remember the case from two weeks ago in New York City where the father of six people was choked to death uh, by the New York City police for being black. Uh, this happens all the time, and it happens all the time uh, everywhere, quite frankly. Uh, and... So it escalated. People started protesting on the streets. Immediately, the cops of Ferguson, Missouri, broke out what appeared to be um, all the fucking armor from Iraq uh, and all the Afghanistan uh, uh, body armor. Uh, there, there were SWAT teams everywhere, snipers. They made a no-fly zone over the city. The no-fly zone over a city of 21,000 people <laughs> so that the press couldn't take pictures of the cops pointing guns at regular protesters. You've got to go online and look at these pictures. It's, ast- it's astounding and extraordinary and hideous. This is the First Amendment. This is the Constitution of the United States. Yes, I carry it with me. Yes, I'm that asshole. <laughs> Amendment 1, religion, free speech, press, assembly, and petition. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Let's get to the good part. Or abridging the freedom of speech or one of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. When you are protesting the the violent death by the police of an 18-year-old teenager who apparently didn't do anything, that is the right to assemble to petition the government for the redress of grievances. The government rolling out armored vehicles, the government wearing armored outfits, the government in the guise of the police using automatic weapons and pointing them at innocent people is an absolute violation of the Constitution of the United States. This is happening all over the world everywhere now. It happens in London. It happens all over Britain. You remember what happened during the riots here? All of a sudden, police are firing bullets at people. All of a sudden, police are wearing giant helmets. All of a sudden, nightsticks come out. All of a sudden, the public is the enemy, and the government is protecting us from ourselves. And they want to divide us by saying, oh, look at the poor. They fucking want stuff. Therefore, they loot. Therefore, they're dangerous. Therefore, they're criminals. We have to ring out armored vehicles and beat the shit out of them and shoot them and shit like that and tear gas them in order to keep order. Well, who's fucking order? So that giant companies can keep making money? So that, so that the government can keep the clamp down on everyone's fucking uh, ability to express themselves? The idea that you have to go to a certain area to express your freedom of speech is absolutely fucking poisonous. Here's something that makes no sense. This is from uh, Saad Walsh from The, uh, the Guardian from uh, yesterday. Uh, inarguable. Ferguson, population 21,000, has 40 robberies a year. No arson cases and a crime rate only a bit higher than the national average. What is happening in Ferguson is exactly the opposite of uh, what opponents of rising military-style policing have long feared. When the feds arm white local cops with weapons of war and their superiors encourage them not just to play dress-up but to use their new war toys, it's inevitable that ordinary citizens, especially citizens of color, will get treated as the enemy. As we've seen in Ferguson, when military might comes to Main Street, hands up, don't shoot, quickly turns into quasi-declaration of war on a grieving community. Um, this happens all the time in America. It is absolutely revolting. And uh, I'm hoping that this is some kind of watershed moment. And I say hope, and I don't really like the term hope, because hope leaves you nowhere sometimes. I'm hoping it is. 
But then again, I was hoping that Newtown was a watershed moment or that Virginia Tech was a watershed moment or that any giant moment of violence in the United States where you see injustice done on this unbelievable level and that the media focuses on it so hard that maybe things will change. But I'm hoping uh, that they really do. How can they? I think what happened was so egregious uh, in Ferguson. Uh, And by the way, the protests went off peacefully last night. Uh, And the overreaction of the police forces. And not only that, the... The idea that the police force feels empowered to bring out armored vehicles and to stop the, uh, 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 the, the, the lower class from uh, protesting their crappy violent action, um, I think it can be stopped by public opinion. Um, what happened here when you guys had the riots two years ago, and when I say here, I mean England, not in Scotland, you did not riot, uh, is the kind of thing that we have to guard against at all times because the government is there to look after us. The government is not there to suppress us from criticizing them. Uh, I've had people say to me at different points, this is no time to criticize the government or this is no time to criticize the president. It's always time to criticize the government as long as you have a breath in your body. You've been the smartest crowd in the world. I've been the smartest man in the world. Thank you very much for coming out. May every bell that rings for you be a cool bubble bell. May every page you turn be a satchel page. And if you have to buy bonds, make sure they're very bonds. Thank you very much. I wish you guys the best.